This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The art world is constantly changing. Fortunately, there is a great new website called Art and Object that can keep you up to date. I have been loving Art and Object and loved watching a video that shows the difference between an original work of art, like Girl with a Pearl Earring by Vermeer, to a high-value copy. So see that video and find Art and Object on the web at www.artandobject.com. That's www.artandobject.com. I have a confession to make, and it's a controversial one. Okay, so here we go. I'm not a big fan of Pablo Picasso. He's a brute and a misogynist, and I find it hard to fawn all over him from a personal perspective. That being said, I gotta hand it to him. He was a big deal in art history, and he still is. Throughout his life, he was 91 years old when he died, it seemed like everything he touched turned to gold. He was considered a genius by many and still is deemed as such today. Even though he was a wunderkind, he wasn't without problems or controversy, though. And one of his biggest was the production of a painting that got him on the art historical map in the first place. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. Today, we are finishing out our slew of episodes dissecting single works of art that shook their contemporary worlds, covering another painting that causes waves, even today. Picasso's breakthrough masterpiece, his controversial Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Pablo Picasso is one of the biggest of the biggest in modern art history. Even if you're an art newbie, you probably at least are familiar with the name. And you might even be able to say, oh yeah, that crazy bald Spanish guy who loves striped shirts and made paintings where people's body parts are all mixed up? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. We've covered a little bit of the life of Picasso before on the Art Curious podcast back in episode number 39 about his rivalry with Henri Matisse. But here's a little bit of a refresher on who Picasso was and how he got to be the rule breaker extraordinaire, the man who brought us cubism. Picasso was born in 1881 in the Spanish town of Malaga to a father who was himself an artist. So Picasso, of course, had a leg up in the art world. Early on, he was considered to be a child prodigy whose art training naturally began as a child at the hands of his father. By 1895, the Picasso family moved to Barcelona largely to offer the teenage Pablo a better education and more opportunities for his budding art career. His father got a job at the School of Fine Arts, and that connection allowed Picasso the chance to complete the exam for enrollment. Now, normally such a process took students a month to complete, but Picasso, 
He took only one week to finish it, and at the age of just 13. So it should come as no surprise that he was very quickly admitted to the school. By the age of 19, Picasso was proficiently copying the work of Spanish masters like El Greco and Goya in museums across the country, including the Great Prado in Madrid. However, it wasn't those artists of his own home country who made the greatest impression on his burgeoning style. The men who truly influenced him were Paul Cézanne, the great post-impressionist, and Henri Rousseau, whose so-called primitive painting style was like catnip to the young Picasso. Rule breakers themselves, Cézanne and Rousseau were headed in their own ways towards what would become known as the highlights of cubism. The flattening of the picture plane, the abstraction of objects and individuals down to basic geometric forms, and a fascinating angular approach. But like Rousseau and Cézanne before him, Picasso was finding it difficult among the formal art settings of school to have his work accepted and admired. And Barcelona, that was also a town that was difficult to get into art-wise. And so he went to where his great heroes had lived and worked, and he traveled to Paris in 1900 to pursue a new path, which he made official when he permanently moved to the capital in 1904. There he quickly set up camp, made important connections with as many creative types as possible, writers, critics, other artists, collectors, and then he got to work honing his craft and experimenting, always experimenting, always eager to push himself to that next level. And most art historians agree that he did this, really, really did this, for the first time with his 1907 breakthrough painting, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. Let's talk about the specifics of what's going on inside Picasso's Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, or at least let's attempt to do so. Les Demoiselles features five female nudes configured with three standing on the left side, and on the right side, there's another woman standing while a fifth crouches in the lower right corner. Centered in front of the group is an incongruous still life of fruit, and everything is disjointed, lacking a clear sense of perspective, and things are obscured or just plain strange. Take, for example, the relationship between the figures and the background. The two central women interact with the background in such a way that it appears it's almost overlaying their legs like fabric. So is it a backdrop pulled around them and over them like a blanket? And those faces. The faces of those two women are so blank and white, almost sculptural. And their bodies are so geometric, all pointy elbows and triangular torsos. And there is nothing at all naturalistic about the scene. Nothing. Not in the unnatural pinkness of the women's skin, ranging in tone from light peach to a deep fuchsia, and with the seemingly backwards-facing head of the crouching woman. How are we supposed to be seeing these people? From what direction, physically speaking? And really, just how? Truly, there is a lot to unpack here. But the first step is to take the faces of the women as incredibly important to the interpretation of the painting. Looking at them closer, we see that the three women on the left seem to have at least semi-identifiable human faces, despite the oversimplification of facial features and their clear geometrization. On the right, though, the two women have drastically different faces. The standing woman has a very large, sharp nose with deep black eyes, and her cheeks are defined in shades of blue, green, and brown, in a distinct separation from the rest of her body. Similarly, the squatting woman sports an off-center nose, equally long and sharp. Her features are outlined in a deep charcoal with a strong brow line and a very small mouth. Upon first glance, these women's faces look like masks. And the reason for that is, well, because they are meant to represent that they are wearing masks. 
Les Demoiselles d'Avignon is an example of a popular trend in the early 20th century called primitivism. Primitivism is a mode of aesthetic idealization that either emulates or aspires to recreate a so-called primitive experience. And I've got primitive in air quotes here. In many cases, artists borrowed imagery or symbolism from non-Western people perceived as, quote, primitive. So some examples in particular are African tribes or even, in Gauguin's case, Tahitian women. This trend was brought on by the Age of Discovery, where Eurocentric people were introduced to previously unknown cultures. Unknown to them, that is. And they were enthralled with how, quote-unquote, natural they were, how in tune with their environment and their surroundings, how real these people seem to be, in comparison with the Western world newly grasped by industrialism. To live a primitive lifestyle, then, was seen as inspiring, the new direction, the thing. With the hindsight of over 100 years, we know that this is racially and culturally insensitive at best and flagrantly awful at worst, because stereotyping and abuse came with this trend. So-called primitive places were usurped through colonialism, oftentimes with violent consequences for people, fauna, and flora. But no one really talked about that at the time. What they talked about was how to best express this concept of the natural-slash-primitive thing within their own homes, their lives, and their art, which was reflected in a perceived absence of lineal perspective, simple outlines, cultural symbols, emotive distortions of figure, and these beautiful repetitive ornamental patterns. In each of these small, individual ways, Les Demoiselles wasn't shocking at all. It was cool. What was surprising to the art world at the time was Picasso's use of these elements in synchronicity to create an effect that was just unlike anything the world had yet seen. He begat Cubism, that iconic aesthetic style wherein single viewpoint perspective was eschewed in favor of being able to show all the angles at once, where simple geometric shapes took the place of all naturalism. It's kind of funny. The denial of naturalism here was the best way to get to the primitive core of life, which was deemed most natural. That's really strange, right? But for a good long while, this was all just too different for art critics and the general public alike. The multiple perspectives and lack of shading were confusing to the eye that was accustomed to the artistic traditions that had been celebrated for hundreds of years before. It's flat. It's strange. It's not recognizable as similar to anything that came before. And disjointed bodies and the distorted faces made these women seem menacing, not intriguing. These women, who weren't being depicted as luscious beauties for the male gaze, but were for something else, something darker, wild, fierce, primitive. And therein lies another problem. These women. They aren't just any women. According to Picasso, the painting represents sex workers at a particular brothel, one that the artist himself visited quite often in Barcelona, located on a street called Avignon Street. The original title of the painting made this connection quite explicit, as Picasso previously called it the brothel or the bordello of Avignon. Picasso looked upon this groundbreaking work with an almost parental affection, referring to it as, quote, my little brothel, unquote, and basically just showing it off to anybody who would stop by his Paris studio. But blatantly showing a painting of five sex workers from a noted brothel just wasn't a thing in art. And a side note real quick that I am using the term sex workers here not because it's accurate to the time period. That would not have been a phrase that people used back in the early 20th century. But because it's a term that is more correctly accepted and used today. Okay, and side note. So 
Sure, the naked woman was always and still is a very sacred figure in art history, but they were usually these bare canvases, sometimes literally, onto which could be projected the fantasy of a pristine yet sexy goddess, Venus herself. So remember how shocking and outraging it was when Manet painted Olympia? This had the possibility to be that all over again. And so, an acquaintance of Picasso's, a poet named André Salmon, bestowed it with the title Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, which translates to the young women of Avignon, in order to lessen the controversy. Not that it helped much. When the painting was first exhibited at the Salon d'Antin in 1916, almost a full 10 years after Picasso begat the work of art, the name itself was the least of the criticism lobbed in his direction. The critics flatly hated this work. A review of the Salon's exhibition was published in Le Cri de Paris, a French magazine with political leanings, and it stated, quote, The Cubists are not waiting for the war to end to recommence hostilities against good sense. They are currently exhibiting naked women whose scattered parts are represented in all four corners of the canvas. Here an eye, there an ear, over there a hand, a foot on top, a mouth below. Monsieur Picasso, their leader, is probably the least disheveled of the lot, but he has painted, or rather daubed, five women who are, if truth be told, all hacked up, and their limbs somehow manage to hold together. They have, moreover, piggish faces with eyes wandering negligently above their ears. An enthusiastic art lover offered the artist 20,000 francs for his masterpiece, and Monsieur Picasso wanted more. The art lover did not insist." Unquote. Did Picasso's masterpiece fare any better with those who knew him best? We'll see. And that's coming up next, right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As listeners to the show, I know that you love diving deep into areas that interest you just as much as I do. And that is why I want you to check out The Great Courses Plus. This is a streaming service that I have been enjoying for a while now that gives me unlimited access to learn from people who are so passionate about their areas of expertise. And there's a wide variety of topics to explore. And the best thing is that I can watch or listen to lectures anytime and anywhere. Right now, The Great Courses Plus has a fantastic course that I've been loving, and it's called Museum Masterpieces The Louvre. And in this course, art critic and historian Richard Brittell offers amazing insights and discoveries about everything that's important in the Louvre. Not just the Mona Lisa, but so much more. And now is the perfect time to check it out, because The Great Courses Plus is giving my listeners an exclusive limited-time offer. That is that you can get your first three months for only $10 a month. That's three full months to learn about anything that interests you, anything at all 
at an incredible discount. But to be able to get this fantastic savings, you must sign up through my URL within the next few weeks, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. So remember, this is a special limited time offer to get your first three full months for just $10 a month, and you can only get it by going to my URL. Sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. If you're a regular listener to Art Curious, then you've heard me thank our production partner, Kabunki, for making each of our episodes sound so incredible. They've been with us since the beginning, and now they're here for you too. Need production and editing help for your own podcast? Sure. Full service video for your film or marketing project? You bet. How about original content for your website or campaign? No sweat. Kabuki does it all for video, audio, or whatever your medium. Their award-winning team has the tools and talent to elevate everything you do. Get to know our friends at Kabunki like we do and tell them our curious sent you. Visit kabunki.com. That's K-A-B-O-O-N-K-I.com. Kabunki, a silly name, but superb content. Welcome back to Art Curious. Picasso's pals, even those in the know who had seen Les Demoiselles in Picasso's Paris studio for years, even they weren't all that sold on it. Take, for example, Picasso's own rival. When Henri Matisse first saw the painting, he apparently thought the whole thing was a bad joke. Not a monumental new step towards modernism, but a hoax, a way to razz Picasso's own pals. Even George Brock, who himself would become closely aligned with Picasso as one of the formative proponents of Cubism, even he initially hated this painting. All that being said, no one could deny that something had shifted. Picasso was doing something different, and different is exciting. After a few years, Les Demoiselles was still an assault to the senses, but one that was met with more and more understanding or perspective, or at least more familiarity as Picasso and his cohort produced more works in the Cubist style. All this is not to say that the shock factor of the work has died down over the past hundred years. In fact, towards the end of the 20th century, this famous painting became controversial again when viewed in a feminist context. Specifically, art historians have recently critiqued that same non-traditional depiction of women as a representation of Picasso's misogyny, which played out viciously and obviously in the artist's own life. As we mentioned earlier, Picasso frequented that brothel on Avignon Street, so much so that he is said to have declared that he was able to really know these women intimately after weekly visits over a number of years. Later, when discussing them, he joked that he painted these sex workers because he thought they were ugly, and that their ugliness was the whole point of this work of art. Such phrases are super demeaning, especially considering that these were women who were offering a service that Picasso was paying them to provide. But to call them ugly is just one aspect of it. Think of their faces. Picasso used the concept of primitivism, of this visual simplification, of literally masking these women to hide their figures, to obscure their humanity. And with that, this geometric breaking down of their bodies, he has relegated them to being creatures, not people. And he probably did this on purpose. One of the theories as to why Picasso treated women as such is in regard to an event that occurred the same year he painted Les Demoiselles. During that time, Picasso was diagnosed with a venereal disease, both not surprising and also truly common considering the lack of protection available at the time and the fact that Picasso so plainly stated his predilection for sex workers. 
But all of this was not to diminish the fact that, for many, such sexually transmitted diseases were huge problems with serious side effects. So Picasso had the right to be concerned. After his diagnosis, though, he felt enraged, and he did what many misogynists are wont to do, to blame the women in their lives. Picasso blamed the ladies at the brothel on Avignon Street for his illness, and he purportedly told a confidant that Les Demoiselles d'Avignon was his first, quote, exorcism painting, unquote, stated by the artist as a way to seek his revenge upon these women, who he believed infected him. Given this, as well as our current climate towards women within America and indeed many other countries in the world, you can see that a work of art like this, and this type of interpretation of this work of art, is still problematic. This painting, as far as I'm aware, will probably still be controversial. Possibly even a hundred years from now. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This season, we've covered seven works of art and have discussed why and how they are controversial or how they were problematic or shocking in their own day. And good news is we are not done with these fascinating stories. This is the end of the fourth season of the Art Curious Podcast, but we will be back in a few months with more stories of shock art in art history. So stay subscribed and stay tuned for announcements of the release date of our new season. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Kelsey Breen. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. Our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. And social media help is by Emily Crockett. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki, video, content, ideas. Learn more at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. For more information, please visit our website, theartcuriouspodcast.com. You can find images, information, contact details, and links to all of our previous episodes. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ArtCuriousPod. Check back in a few months as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in the shocking works of art history. Happy New Year. Thank you.